Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. How are you? Is everybody doing okay? Doing all right? Everybody get their coffee? Got a little donut or something? All right, take a sip. Take a sip, high-five your, high your neighbor maybe, even get a little energy going, all right? You don't have to, it's okay, but... All right, Pastor Dave's not here, as you can tell. He, uh, he and Cindy and the fam are in Florida, so... Doing a little family trip to Disney World, so look at that. It's cool, so we're uh, thinking and praying for them, hoping they have a great time, and I'm excited to be preaching part three of our series, Building Community. Building Community. We've been in 1 Corinthians 12, so we'll finish up 1 Corinthians 12 today, and then Pastor Dave will start with 1 Corinthians 13 next week, and yes, that is the chapter that you've heard at many weddings. Yes, so that'll be great next week, but... We'll finish up chapter 12 today of 1 Corinthians, and um, before we kind of jump into our text, which is 1 Corinthians 12, 21 through 30, I want to kind of recap where we've been. Paul's been talking about a few things, gifts, the church, and so just a little recap I think will help us before we jump into our scripture for this morning. Corinth is a massive port city. It's an economic hub. It's very diverse. It has all kinds of temples to all kinds of different gods, right? Greek and Roman gods. And, and Paul strategically places a church there. And he's there for about a year and a half and lives with them and, and, and raises up that church. And then he continues on his journey, right? And, and going to different cities and planting other churches. And, and you can read all about that in Acts 18. But after he's gone, he starts to get reports and, and letters that the church in Corinth is struggling. They're having some problems. There's a lot of division. And so he, he writes letters to them. And these letters are contained in now what we have first and second Corinthians. And so specifically chapter 12, where we've been in this series, he begins with writing about gifts. And because as Pastor Dave kind of talked about last week, the, the people are struggling because every wants, everybody wants the gift of speaking in tongues. And Paul's like, no, no, there, there's many gifts. There's more than just the fancy, uber spiritual gift of speaking in tongues. There's much more to that. There's one spirit above all, in all, and he's gifted every single person with a gift, something unique, something to give. And so kind of before we go any further, I think this is a helpful definition of gifts and talking about Paul's gifts that he's talking about to the church in Corinth. So, so check this out, church. Gifts are anything that God has given you that can be empowered by the Holy Spirit to be used for the story of Jesus. One more time. Gifts are anything that God has given you that can be empowered by the Holy Spirit to be used for the story of Jesus. Anything. With our willingness as we place our gifts, our talents, our passions in the hands of, of God, his spirit takes them and uses them for his glory, for his kingdom. And it looks different. Some of us, it's, it's preaching and teaching. Some of it's, it's writing. Some people like the musicians, right? Singing, playing music. Some of you, it's working with your hands or working with numbers or, or whatever it may be, right? All have different gifts, and God has been gracious in giving us all gifts. And they will look different. Romans 12, 6 says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. And so Paul isn't saying that some of us receive more grace than others. He's simply saying that our gifts will look different. Why? Because we're different. Because you're different than the person next to you. 
And that's a good thing. And so we have different gifts. And typically in the church, your gifts go along with the function of, of how you work in the body of Christ, right? In this uh, body, when we think about kind of this building and, and also outside the body of Christ. And so our musicians have their gifts, right? Week after week. And, and they bless us, right? They take us to the throne room of God and we glorify God and praise him, right? And, and I, don't, I don't know about you guys, but I'm thankful for these musicians who use their gifts for the kingdom right? Week after week. And some of you, like me, you know, it, that's not our gift. If we got up there, it'd be a train wreck, right? Singing and stuff like that. <laughs> exactly. But that's okay, because there's something else for us, right? We have a different gifting. We have a different function in the church. Um, some of y'all are great with kids, and maybe teachers, or you work in the children's ministry, or help out, or whatever, and and you know you're good with kids. And some of you know because you've tried, you're terrible with kids, right? You've worked in the kids' ministry and you've, you, you talk to kids and for some reason they just keep crying, right? You're even saying nice things to them and they just keep crying. You're like, well, maybe I'm not, I'm not cut out for this. And that's okay because we all have a different set of gifts and a different function in the body of Christ in this church and outside these walls. And so... Uh, before we go any further with gifts, I want to ask you this question. Are you squandering the gifts that God has given you? In any way, are you squandering the gifts that God has given you? Are you using them on, on things that are temporary and things that won't last? Or are you using them to push the story of Jesus forward? After speaking about gifts, Paul uh, launches into this helpful metaphor for how the community of Christ should work together. And he, and he says it's like a body like a body. And what's interesting about this is, is we kind of need to understand the cultural context here because Paul, this isn't some random illustration that, that Paul comes up with. Probably not. Um, at, at the time, there would have been writers, right, in the, in the Roman world, non-Christian writers who, who are writing about people's civic duties within the Roman Empire. And they play a, a role. They have a, a part of the body and Caesar is the head. But Paul picks that up and he kind of blows up that paradigm of empire and says, no, it's, it's the church. The church is, is one body and Caesar is not the head, but Jesus is. And we all have a specific role to play. We all are a part of the body. And let me say this too when we're talking about church and, and Paul's talking about the body of Christ. I hope everyone knows this, but we need to say this. Is the church, when Paul is talking about it, is, is not, is not a, a building, right? We, we go to church, we talk about this building, but the church, the body of Christ, is people. It's you, it's me, it's us. We are the body of Christ. And um, I love that worship song that Chris Renzima, he's a Christian worship artist that the, that the band sang for that offertory. I don't know if you've caught those lyrics, but, but let me read a few of them. Christ has no hands now but yours. Christ has no feet now but yours. Christ has no mouth now but yours. Christ has no eyes now but yours. It's us, friends. We're Christ's physical representation in the world, his messengers, his ambassadors, and we all play a role. And your role is indispensable. It's indispensable. Okay, understand a little bit more about gifts and, and the body of Christ, let's dive into our text. 1 Corinthians 12, 21 through 31. If you have your Bible, you get extra points. Just kidding, you don't, you don't, I'm sorry. But it will be on the screen, so... 1 Corinthians 12, 21 through 31. 
The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unrepresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of, kind, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have the gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And yet I will show you the most excellent way. Okay. So out of our text today, I think there's three things that we can focus on that Paul's trying to, trying to tell the church at Corinth and us today. I'll say that. First is this. You are indispensable. Verses 21 through 22. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. The definition of indispensable is absolutely necessary. You are absolutely necessary to God's story of redemption in the world. You are indispensable. You're absolutely necessary to this body. Do you believe that, church? I think we struggle with that. I think we struggle with thinking about church like that. Why? Because we've been shaped in our culture to be, our culture to be consumers. And so sometimes church can, can just be another thing that we consume, right? So sometimes we'll say, do, do I need, we'll have the question uh, like this, do I need the church? Do, do I need the church? Right? Maybe we'll wake up and, and ask, do I need church today? But I think, I, I think that's a bad question. I think a better question is, does the church need me? Does the church need me? And the quick answer is yes. The church does need you. The body of Christ needs you. They need, they need your uniqueness and your gifts and your personality. The body of Christ needs you because we miss out on something the church. Inside these walls and outside as we go be the body of Christ, the church misses out on something when you aren't here, when you aren't using your gifts for the kingdom. So you are indispensable. And so Paul wants to shift our thinking. And you might think your, your gifts don't matter. You might think you're one of the weaker body parts, but, but your role is pivotal. It matters so much. You're absolutely necessary. I hope you hear that today, church. You're absolutely necessary. No matter, no matter where you came, no matter how you came in today or how you're feeling, you are absolutely necessary. Uh, you know the term bench warmer? Bench warmer. You know that term? Yeah, bench warmer. Someone who doesn't go in the game, they just keep the bench warm. They ride pine, right? Just hanging out on the bench. Yeah, some of you guys know because you were bench warmers, okay? Uh, and that's okay, that's okay. Um, I, I was a bench warmer in college for my first couple years of college baseball, right? And so I know that bench warmer life. And what's interesting about the bench and being a bench warmer is you kind of start to get comfortable on the bench. Right, maybe get some Gatorade and some snacks <laughs> on the bench. Yeah, I'm feeling kind of good on the bench. I'm, I'm comfortable. And then you hear whispers of, of, of maybe the coach putting you in the game, and you're like, oh, then the fear starts to set in, right? Oh, I don't want to go out there and mess up and cost my team the game, right? I don't want to 
do bad. So you have this, 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 this being comfortable, and then there's this fear, maybe you go on in the game, right? I think some of us are on the bench with our spiritual life this morning. On the bench, not using our gifts for, for the kingdom. And, and there's different reasons why maybe we're being a bench warmer. Maybe it's fear, maybe it's apathy, whatever it may be. We're stuck, we're on the bench. And church, God's calling you off the bench today. He's calling all of us off the bench. Bob Goff says this, God didn't give you a dream to keep you benched the whole game. He's calling you onto the field. And you can imagine like a little basketball game or something, and a coach turns to the players, turns to the bench. He says, hey, get in there, get in the game. And you're like, oh, me? Yes, yes, get in there, yes. That's God today talking to all of us. Hey, get in the game. I don't know where you've been at, Right? Maybe you've been struggling with some stuff, but I need you in the game using your gifts. The body of Christ needs you. It needs you. And again, Bob Goff says, God didn't create any of us to just be practice buddies or water boys. There's no sideline in God's story of redemption, and there's no bench. So what would change for you today, church, if you got off the bench? What would change for your family, your community, the people you surround yourself with? My prayer is that we realize that that we are indispensable to God's church, to this body, to God's work in the world. You are indispensable. You are absolutely necessary. So let's get off the bench. Point number two, concern for each other. Verse 25 says, so that there should be no division in the body, but, e but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. When we understand that we are indispensable to God, slowly we realize that Others are indispensable to God as well. So what happens? Just like Paul says, there should be no division in the body. Slowly the walls of division come down when we get Christ's eyes to see people as valuable and as a part of this community. So can I live with people who disagree with me? We have maybe different thoughts about all kinds of different things. Can we be in the body of Christ together Yes, I hope so. It's hard in our divided world, but with God's spirit, we can. But we need to let God's spirit be louder than all the other voices in our life, church. Whether it's the news station or the podcasts or whatever it is, can God's spirit be the loudest voice in our lives? Paul's desire for the church of Corinth is to understand, hey, you're one body and you have different parts and you have different thoughts and that's okay that's a good thing god has created us to be different and as pastor dave mentioned last week diversity is a gift it's not a threat it's a gift so can i have deep concern and care for people that are different than me people that i struggle with with god's spirit yes and we should and we should all of the body has a role to play in the flourishing of christ's church we must have concern for each other we must do we? Out of the pandemic, some of us have struggled with this, right? Jumping back into people's lives, relationships, sharing meals, and we, we struggle with that out of the pandemic, right? And some of us, like, some of y'all introverts are like, well, I struggled with that stuff before the pandemic, right? But the call remains the same for the church. We must care for each other. We must check up on each other. We must invest in one another. And this, makes, this is what makes the body of Christ so unique, 
This is why when people saw the New Testament church exploding, they were, they were so mesmerized because the church was unlike anything they had ever seen. They had care and concern for all people. Even what the world said, oh, those are the weaker people, those are the weaker parts of the body. No, no. They're important. They're absolutely necessary. And in Jesus' day, there was all kinds of dividers, wasn't there? Rich and poor, Jew and non-Jew, clean and unclean, all kinds of different stuff. And we have all kinds of dividers today for us too. But can we have concern and care for all people? Not just the people we're comfortable with. My father-in-law is a pastor, and he's pastored different churches um, around the U.S. And he, and he pastored a church in Denver for about 10 years, and that's where Shaylee and I met. And... Um, it was kind of a, a church, of, a, had a big legacy, and so there was a really awesome elderly community, and it was kind of in the suburbs a little bit, and so it had a, a, a lot of younger families as well. And, and my father-in-law has a heart for, for the city, and so he started a, a downtown ministry in downtown Denver. It was called Movement 5280, and I wanted to read, um, read what, the, kind of the, what they say on the website and the good work that they do. So it says, Movement 5280 seeks to provide a family of support to homeless youth who have aged out of foster care and other at-risk young people lacking guidance as they transition to adulthood. So just an amazing ministry. The church was excited about it and threw resources behind it, and, and, and it took off. It was doing really good things. And, 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 and this at-risk youth, right, the homeless uh, young people started to show up. The church, it was awesome, and there was different meals and programs for them, and, and it was really cool, and the church was embracing them, or I thought everybody was embracing them, right? My father-in-law told me this story a couple years ago. We were talking about some ministry stuff, and he told me this story, and uh, the ministry was doing well. It was about six months after it started, and, and a board member goes into his office, and they're talking, he goes, hey, this church cares way too much about the old people and the homeless people. This church has way too much concern for the old people and the homeless people. And uh, my father-in-law kind of handled it well. You know, he tried to help him understand, hey, you know, we're doing these things, and, and these people really mattered, and we're trying to serve them, and, and all these different things. But, but I remember a couple years ago when my father-in-law told me that I was just, as a, as a young pastor guy, I was like, what? He said, what? Right? It's like kind of one of these moments, you know? I'm like, isn't there a verse about, like, isn't that... Jesus, like, like James 127, true religion is caring for the widows and the orphans. And so, and so bless this individual's heart, but they had missed it, right? As Dave always says, bless that person's heart, right? But they were missing it. They were missing it. They wanted the church to only be uh, ministering to people they were comfortable with. But the church had concern and care for all people, and that's how it should be for us, too. Paul says there's no place for division. Point number three, suffering with. Verse 26, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. In Paul's day in the, in the first century, the people tended to function with this idea of limited good. So if something good happened to you, then something bad happened to someone else somewhere in the world. Right? It's kind of this ebb and flow, right? Or if something bad happened to, to, to me, and then something, obviously, somebody else gained something somewhere else. And Paul just shatters that thinking when he's talking about the body of Christ. He says, you are one body. So if one of you is in pain, the whole body is in pain. 
If your foot is hurting, it's, it's your whole body that is hurting. It's this collective type of thinking that Paul is trying to get across. And it doesn't just go for suffering and hurting. It goes for times of joy as well. He says, when one part of the body is honored, every part rejoices with it, right? This collective type of thinking. And as the theological movie, High School Musical, says, right? As that theological movie says, we're all in this together, right? That's what Paul is trying to get across. You're all in this together. But there's something unique about this idea of suffering with that Paul talks about. Something unique about this idea. In Luke 6.36, Jesus tells us to be compassionate as the Father is compassionate. And the Greek word for compassion that he uses there, it's, it's this word that literally means mini-bowed. Mini-bowed, right? It means you feel it in your gut, in your stomach. You feel it in your physical body. When people are hurting, you feel that. And that's the type of compassion that Jesus had. When he ministered to those on the margins and those who were hurting, those who had been abused by, by the community, right? He felt that in his gut, not just, not just in his head, right? But he felt it in his physical body. And that's Paul's charge to the church. We should feel it because we're one body together. So we should sit with people, pray with people, mourn with people, be present with people as they suffer and struggle. We have to be compassionate, feel it in our body. And with this church, uh, we know that, that some of us here today and, and people that maybe aren't here are, are, are in that stage of suffering and struggling. And so let me say something to those people is ask for help. This is a community where you can ask for help, and we have all kinds of people in this church that will come alongside you and love you and, and help you and sit with you, right? We don't all have the perfect words and answers to everything, but we want to be present with you in your struggles. In the highest of highs, the church is there. People are near surrounding you and loving you. And in the lowest of lows, the church is there. People are near surrounding you and loving you. That's Paul's hope for this church. That's Jesus' hope for this community. Um, I want to close with this story. And, and you all are like, man, we're getting out really early. Cool. Yes. Yes. Um, it's a little bit of a longer story, but it's so good. So <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Um, when we're talking about being a church that has concern for all people, and realizing that we are indispensable and others are indispensable and, and caring for people that not just we're comfortable with, but all people. I think this is a fitting way to end this message. It's a, a story from Tony Campolo. I don't know if you've heard of Tony Campolo. He's a, he's a famous preacher. And these are his words that he uses to describe this moment and stuff. But here we go. Many years ago, Tony flew to Hawaii to speak at a conference the way he tells it, he checks into his hotel and tries to get some sleep. Unfortunately, his internal clock wakes him up at 3 a.m. The night is dark, the streets are silent, and the world is asleep. But Tony is wide awake and his stomach is growling. He gets up and prowls the streets looking for a place to get some bacon and eggs for an early breakfast. Everything is closed except for a grungy, grungy diner in an alley. He goes in and sits down at the counter. The fat guy behind the counter comes over and asks, what do you want? What do you want? Well, Tony isn't so hungry anymore, so eyeing some donuts under a plastic cover, he says, I'll have a donut and black coffee. 
As he sits there munching on his donut and sipping his coffee at 3.30 in the morning, in walk eight or nine provocative, loud prostitutes just finished with their night's work. They plop down at the counter, and Tony finds himself uncomfortably surrounded by this group of smoking and swearing hookers. He gulps his coffee, planning to make a quick getaway, when the woman next to him says to her friend, you know what, tomorrow's my birthday, I'm going to be 39. To which her friend nastily replies, so what do you want me to do for you? Uh, throw you a birthday party, huh? You want me to get you a cake, sing happy birthday to you? The first woman says, oh, come on, why do you have to be so mean? Why do you have to put me down? I'm just saying it's my birthday. I don't want anything from you. I mean, why should I have a birthday party? I've never had a birthday party in my whole life. Why should I have one now? Well, when Tony Campolo heard that, he said he made a decision. He sat and waited until the woman left, and then he asked the fat guy at the counter, do they come in here every night? Yeah, he answered. The one right next to me, he asked, she comes in every night. Yeah, he answered. That's Agnes. She's here every night. She's been coming in here for years. Why do you want to know? Because she just said tomorrow is her birthday. What do you think? Do you think maybe we could throw a birthday party for her right here in the diner? A cute kind of smile crept over the fat man's chubby cheeks. That's great, he says. Yeah, that's great. I like it. He turns to the kitchen and shouts to his wife, hey, come out here. This guy's got a great idea. Tomorrow is Agnes's birthday, and he wants to throw a party for her right here. His wife comes out. That's terrific. She says, you know, Agnes is really nice. She's always trying to help other people, and nobody does anything nice to her. So they make their plans. Tony says he'll be back at 2.30 the next morning with some decorations. And the man, whose name turns out to be Harry, says he'll make a cake. At 2.30 the next morning, Tony is back. He has paper and other decorations and a sign made of big pieces of cardboard. And it says, happy birthday, Agnes. They decorate the place from one end to the other and get it looking great. Harry had gotten the word out on the streets about the party. And by 3.15, it seemed that every prostitute in Honolulu was in the place. At 3.30 on the dot, the door swings open and in walks Agnes and her friend. Tony has everybody ready. They all shout and scream, happy birthday, Agnes. Agnes is absolutely flabbergasted. She's stunned and her mouth falls open. Her knees start to buckle and she almost falls over. And when the birthday cake with all the candles is carried out, that's when she totally loses it. Now she's sobbing and crying, and, and Harry, who's never seen a, a, a prostitute cry, gruffly mumbles, blow out the candles, Agnes, cut the cake. So she pulls herself together and, and blows out the candles, and everyone cheers and yells, cut the cake, Agnes, cut the cake. But Agnes looks down at the cake, and without taking her eyes off of it, slowly and softly says, look, Harry, is it all right if... If, you know, uh, if, is it all right if I don't mean, I want to ask, is it okay if I keep the cake for a little while? Is it all right if we don't eat it right away? Harry doesn't know what to do, so he shrugs and says, uh, sure, if that's what you want, keep the cake. Take it home if you want. Oh, could I, she asks, looking at Tony. She says, I live just down the street a couple of doors. I want to take the cake home. Is that okay? I'll be right back, honest. So she gets off her stool picks up the cake and carries it high like, like it was the Holy Grail. Everybody watches in stunned silence, and when the door closes behind her, nobody seems to know what to do. They look at each other, and then they look at Tony. So Tony gets up in the chair and says, what do you say that we pray together? 
And there they are in a hole-in-the-wall greasy spoon, half the prostitutes in Honolulu at 3.30, listening to Tony Campolo as he prays for Agnes, prays for her life, her health, her salvation. Tony recalls, I, I prayed that her life would be changed and that God would be good to her. When he's finished, Harry leans over with a trace of hostility in his voice. He says, hey, you never told me you was a preacher. What kind of church do you belong to anyways? In one of those moments when just the right words came, Tony answers him quietly. I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. (laughs) Harry thinks for a moment and in a mocking way says, no, you don't. There ain't no church like that. And if there was, I'd join it. Yep, I'd join a church like that. I love that story. Church, can we be a church like that? Where the gospel takes us to crazy places. Even to the people we disagree with. Wow. Even to the people we're not comfortable with. We can do it with God's spirit. We can. We can. I want to invite the band back up. You are indispensable. You are. You're absolutely necessary to the body of Christ. It's not, it's not, do I need church? It's, 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 does the church need me? Yes, the church needs you. It needs your gifts. In all your uniqueness, every one of you. And then we can get to a place where we have concern and care for all people, right? Not just the people we're comfortable with. But get back to what Paul's talking about to the church at Corinth, the church that explodes because of the type of compassion they have and unity and all those things. And let's not be afraid to suffer with each other, to enter into the, the broken places with each other and not always have, you know, we won't always say the perfect things, but let's just show up. Let's be present. Let's love. Church, thanks for being here. Let's pray. Gracious God, thanks for this morning. Thanks for the chance to gather together as, as your body all of us different parts, and come together to form something beautiful, not perfect, but, but something beautiful, the bride. Something that God has plans for and, and, and wants to use in mighty ways. So would you help everyone here know deep within their heart that they are valuable, they're absolutely necessary, they're indispensable to your redemption story in the world. God, go with us from this place. Thank you for these moments to worship together. Help us be your people in a hurting world. We love you. Amen. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.